All of us are on a journey of becoming, a complicated journey in pursuit of truth and deeper knowledge of the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that it can be a painful and difficult journey and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson and I too am on a journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my journey and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith but it is perhaps one of its greatest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson. And with me today, believe it or not, is John Philip Newell. John, how are you this morning? I'm well, thanks, Josh. Yeah, thank you for uh, for coming out and, and hanging out with me this morning. I think this might win the award for uh, earliest podcast recording I've ever done. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is fun. It's a great way to start a, a Sunday morning. I have my coffee with me um and so it should be a good time yeah part of the uh, the ritual of beginning every day for me as well <laughs> yeah nice it's a it's a good ritual typically uh, and listeners listeners will know this i'm a i'm a big craft beer fan actually i'm a a, a brewer by trade um ah. that's what i do full time yeah and uh, so typically I'm enjoying a beer, but 8 a.m. is a bit early, even for me <laughs> and my love. So coffee it is. Um, but John, just uh, in case uh, there are people who are not familiar with yourself or your work, can you just give us a little bit um, about who you are and, and what kind of things you find yourself doing? Yeah. Well, I, I describe myself as a, as a wandering Celtic teacher. Uh, following that ancient pattern of, uh, of those who were called Scottish vagans, wandering Scots. And uh, very much in the, in the Celtic world, there was a, a tradition of wandering, wandering teachers, <clears throat> somewhat free from ecclesiastical and political control and uh, trying to speak truths for uh, the healing of our relationship with one another, with the earth. <clears throat> so I, I stand very much in that tradition. Uh, my uh, doctoral studies were done in Edinburgh and uh, digging into some of this Celtic wisdom that we'll be exploring today. And really what I've been trying to do uh, over the many decades of my teaching life and wandering life is to try to bring some of this ancient wisdom from the Celtic world which celebrated the sacredness of earth and the sacredness of every human being, trying to speak this ancient wisdom in new ways 
and into the heart of the challenges that we face today in relation to uh, the journey of Earth and the, the interconnected journey of humanity. Yeah, wonderful. I, uh, I actually, I, I came in contact, uh, first came in contact with your work because I was, uh, I can't remember now who, who um, told me about it or, or told me I should look into it. Um, but I purchased a copy, and I'm probably going to screw up how you say it, of the uh, Anamkara. Is that yeah. how you say it? Yeah. yeah. And uh, when I purchased this on Amazon, immediately it popped up uh, your most recent book, Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul. And I was <laughs> like, yes, that one too. So I, I <laughs> purchased it alongside. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm excited to, to jump into that in a second. But I have one more question I just wanted to ask you. Um, that I like to ask all of the, the guests that come on the show. Um, and so the show is called Rethinking Faith. And so the question I like to ask is, what do you feel is perhaps the most important aspect of your faith that you've had to rethink throughout your journey? Yeah, thank you. Well, um, one of the themes that we'll, we'll get into perhaps uh, in our conversation, Josh, is um, an understanding of, of uh, the, the divinity that is celebrated um, as at the heart of the Christ figure in our Christian stream. And uh, so much of our uh, Western history of theological thought and devotion has uh, tended to uh, accentuate the divine at the heart of Jesus as somehow um, opposed to what is deepest in me and what is deepest in you and deepest in every human being. But I think what the Celtic tradition gave me a, a lens through which to see is that the, the divine depths of Jesus in the Celtic world, these were celebrated as uh, revealing the divine depths that are at the heart of you and at the heart of every newborn child, uh, the heart of each one of us. So uh, Jesus becomes this liberating uh, figure and icon that leads us not into uh, a celebration of, a, of a, a sacredness that is somehow foreign to us, but rather the sacredness at the very heart, heart of our being. Uh, that's a major shift. And um, that, that, that called for a radical rethinking of certainly my relationship uh, with the heart of the Christian faith and, and then how to bring that, that celebration of the divine at the heart of all of, all of life to every relationship and, and to our relationship with earth. Yeah, wonderful. That, uh, I find a deep resonance with that when this um podcast first started uh it was essentially it was a like a theology podcast very heady you know mm -hmm. asking all these theological questions um and as my own journey has has um shifted and and taken on the form that it's in now um the kind of questions that i was asking you know two and a half years ago um have become less interesting to me now um and 
I actually, so previously I, I was a pastor um, and I, I had this um, realization that I, I, uh, I knew God intellectually. I knew about God, I should say, uh, but I didn't know God um, uh, experientially. And that's actually part of why I, I stepped away from being a pastor. And, and a major part of my journey has just been this um, uh, moving from, from head uh, to heart um or into body and and um tapping into some of these uh wisdom traditions uh starting with the christian mystics is is who i found first um but then you know finding uh the likes of you know like Thich Nhat Han, um who's like a great buddhist teacher uh and yourself and so um one thing that i thought was so beautiful within um sacred earth sacred soul is is you talk about this idea of um our souls reawakening and um kind of awakening to to like something that we have forgotten and the good the good news about forgetting something um is that it's something that you had already known uh so the and i've just i found that to be so true um this this awakening to um things that just sound truce is, is like a weird way to say it but you that you feel it um and sacred earth sacred soul is like a, a breath of fresh air <laughs> for that for that exact reason um and I've, I've really enjoyed that and um i'm i'm grateful for the the introduction into the the celtic wisdom tradition um that you have I, offered yeah i, th- I think this uh, the, the point you're making about uh, knowing the sacred rather than simply knowing about the sacred um there's been a strong tendency in a lot of our western christian tradition to define the faith in in terms of of agreeing to certain statements about about god Um, and uh, i think one of the the richnesses of the mystical tradition that runs deep in our inheritance and certainly is strong in the Celtic world is the emphasis is, is on knowing, on, on encountering, on experiencing the presence of the divine uh, at the heart of this moment, uh, at the heart of one another, at the heart of all things, and being attentive to that. <clears throat> and um, not so much sets of propositions about God uh, but the experience of, of, of knowing the sacred within us. And, and that relates very strongly to, to, the, to the point you're making of reawakening to a knowing of God. Uh, I love what the Jewish mystics say when they say, in our, in our mother's wombs we knew God, um, but at birth we began to forget. And um, so I, I believe that my role as a spiritual teacher, but also our role for one another as spiritual accompaniers is, is for me not to ever think that I have a truth that I need to somehow deposit into you. Uh, my role is in my words and in my teachings and in my life to reawaken a wisdom that's already in you. Um, you're made of God. And uh, that that is... Uh, one of the great celebrations in this cultic stream of wisdom, not that we're simply made by God, but 
but were made of God, that everything is seen as coming out of the very womb of the one who is beyond names. Yeah, and that that's it's so beautiful too. And that like it's um it's very alluring. Like I have the I mean the yeah the the ability to to uh draw out uh from the soul a, a deep wisdom that is known um i found myself um seeking and following that like the the real heady stuff i still like that a lot but um it's just been so refreshing uh to have um to hear people speak that way i i don't know i don't really have words for it um but the yeah the celtic uh tradition has been wonderful in in helping with that um how so just out of curiosity, how did you first um, like stumble upon the, the Celtic wisdom tradition? Is that something that you were like brought up in or is that something that you kind of found your way into? Yeah, well, uh, a, a bit both in, in many ways. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm of Celtic stock. My, my father was uh, from Ireland and my mother was from Scotland. And um, I grew up in, in Canada, partly educated in, in Canada, before returning to Edinburgh and Scotland to complete my, my theological studies. So I, I grew up in a, in a Celtic family, um, but it was not a family or a religious tradition that, that was consciously accessing this uh, this wisdom of the past that had characterized the Celtic Christian world. Um, so I got, I think I got glimpses of uh, Celtic wisdom through people like my, my Scottish granny, uh, who, who sort of lived a lot of this wisdom, but she didn't have a vocabulary or a theological vocabulary from, from this tradition. So it was early in my time in, in Scotland, uh, during my time of study, uh, two really significant things happened for me uh, that that were part of um, uh, a, cl a cl clearly defined shifting point or turning point in my life and in my vision of reality. And the one was uh, uh, discovering uh, a collection of prayers uh, called the Carmina Gadelica, and I give a a chapter to the Carmenica Delica. These, this just means the songs of the prayers of Gales. And uh, in the 19th century, there was a man named Alexander Carmichael who spent many summers wandering the Western Isles of Scotland and the Highlands of Scotland and uh, recorded prayers from the oral tradition and um, transcribed them and then uh, translated them from the Gaelic to English. And these were prayers that were chanted or sung or intoned uh, at the rising of the sun, at the setting of the sun. Uh, these were prayers that were intoned or chanted under the fullness of the moon at night, uh, prayers that were uh, chanted at the birth of a child, at the death of a, of a loved one, uh, prayers that belong to the natural cycle and seasons of life prayers that were deeply rooted in what the Celtic tradition refers to as the cathedral of earth, sea, and sky. And when I, when I read this collection of prayers, I, I thought, wow, um, this, is, this is me finding a language of prayer 
that expresses what my deepest experiences have, have always been in the context of nature. I, I hadn't been reared with a vocabulary to see that uh, nature is our, our great cathedral, um, living cathedral of the divine. <clears throat> so that, that was a, a major uh, eye-opening moment for me to realize ah, that there's, there's been a tradition of prayer uh, and expression that, that um, I can claim and access as, as a language that will more deeply um, enrich me and enrich my relationship and, and sense of interconnectedness with others and with the earth. And then the second major event, again, very early on in my theological studies, was to meet or to hear um, um, a legend of a man, George McLeod, who had been the founder of the modern day Iona community. And I give a chapter to him in the new book as well. And uh, so I heard that, you know, I was in my early 20s, he was in his early 80s, and I heard him speak publicly in Edinburgh. And it was the first time in my life <clears throat> in which I had heard a Christian teacher speaking about the sacredness of the earth and also speaking about the way of nonviolence, uh, Jesus's way of nonviolence as the way of true relationship, not only between us individually, but between us as nations and peoples. And uh, I heard him speaking what my soul in a sense knew, but I, I, I hadn't yet been able to articulate it. And uh, in listening to him that first time and, and feeling that he was speaking right into my soul or even from within my soul, I, uh, I thought I, I must find a way of coming close to this man. I didn't know how, but um, I was gifted a few months later with, with, with the opportunity. I was on the island of Iona in the Western Isles, this place of pilgrimage in Scotland that people come from all over the world to. And uh, walking along a path uh, on the island and I bumped into the great man, uh, George McLeod. And um, very early on in the conversation, he said, Newell, uh, come back for a whiskey. Um, and um, I'm not sure I had ever had a whiskey before and certainly not that early in the day. But you know, when the great man says, come back for a whiskey, you go back for a whiskey. And, uh, you know, we'd spoke about how, to, how we are to be part of um, uh, enabling the healing of the earth and how we can be part of uh, movements like nuclear disarmament. Um, and uh, at the end of that first conversation, he, he said to me, uh, Newell, uh, what are we going to do about this? Um, so for me, I mean, that was a very important question because it's not just what are we going to say about this, what are we going to think about this, uh, what are we going to do about this? And for me, the, the depth and richness of a spiritual tradition and spiritual wisdom is about how we translate it into our relationships, into our interrelationship, uh, how we act. Um, so that, that was a really defining point in my in my journey, and I came very close to George McLeod and was, was blessed um, for the last 
10 years of his life to, to have contact with him. Yeah, what a gift. Yeah, That's absolutely. Awesome. Huh, cool. Well, yeah, that, um, so I had uh, interviewed um, somebody who you're, you're familiar with um, about a little over a year ago, uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Rob Bell. Um, and when I, when I talked with Rob, um, I, it was about his, his book, everything is spiritual. Yeah. And I attempted to write an outline, uh, for his book, for the interview. And, uh, when I told Rob that he laughed at me, (laughs) um, and, uh, that actually, that interview was a, a major turning point for me, um, spiritually, but also, um, even in, in uh, how I try to conduct interviews for the podcast. And he uh, actually had me throw my, my outline away um, and said, Josh, I need, you know, sink down uh, out of your head and into your heart and uh, yeah. let's go from there. And so this morning, um, as I was, you know, finalizing mm-hmm. and, and prepping for our conversation, um, I was trying to figure out like, man, how, how am I going to outline this conversation? And then I was just reminded of, of, Rob <laughs> and what, yeah. what he in, instructed of me. And so um, I just kind of jotted down a, a few notes and kind of wanted to, yeah, a- allow things to, to form and, and flow from there. And um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, if, if I may just say yeah. how, how much I love uh, Rob Bell, he's, he's a man that's very dear to my heart uh, and um, he's playing an important role and uh, giving articulation uh, uh, that so many can can deeply draw draw from, and um, and one of the things I've loved about my conversations, you know, I've done a number of dialogues with Rob, and one of the, the sort of wonderful aspects of dialogue and conversation in my experience is that we're not we're not uh, really working from a prepared script and. Uh, one of the aspects of dialogue is that, you know, when you say something to me or when, when you ask me a question, um, in a situation like this, I just need to open my mouth and, and see, what, see what comes. And sometimes, uh, because of the, the, the vitality uh, and naturalness of dialogue, uh, we end up saying things that we hadn't, hadn't quite seen or, or said before. So real dialogue... Um, to, to me, is always very exciting. So I'm, I'm glad he, um, he encouraged you to throw away your script. I mean, we, you know, we need to do our homework for, to prepare for, for, for genuine conversation. And certainly I always experience that in, in Rob, that he, uh, if we're doing a dialogue about one of my books, I feel he's really uh, digested the, the book. Um, but then when it comes to the conversation, it's important to just um, follow the spirit and allow ourselves to be surprised uh, and also believe in that deepest place in one another which which is of God so how do we do how, how do we do some opening up of that place you know in our conversation that can be a blessing for other people listening yeah absolutely and that that opening um, reminds me of a phrase too that I, I picked up from Rob and he, he talks about how we have this invitation uh, to go deep enough within ourselves um, that other people may find themselves there as well. Yeah. Um, and that, that has been uh, 
real, you know, uh, shaping for, for myself as well. And um, like when it, it, it comes to your book, Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul, it's, it's been a book that I, I tend to like tear through books. Like I'm, I'm a nerd. I read a lot, uh, but, but with Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul, I just felt like, a, like an invitation to just like slow down, like, you know, slow down. <laughs> and so um, I did. I've, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm not um, all the way through your book because I've been yeah. going through it so slow and um, taking, you know, one chapter at a time and really uh, sitting with it and, and processing it. And actually, um, it's made uh, my brewing experience uh, rather fun uh, because as I've been brewing, um, I've been thinking about these things. Yeah. And, uh, the one of the people who I, I was very excited uh, to read about um, was St. Bridget. Uh, is that how you say her name, by the way? It is, yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, she um, she really stood out to me for obvious reasons if I uh, was brewing beer, or maybe <laughs> obvious reasons to you, not for our listeners. Um, but she really, that chapter um, helped me a lot for where I currently find myself uh, within my spiritual walk or, or journey, because um, I've been asking this question of myself recently, like in what meaningful way can I call myself a Christian? Mm-hmm. Um, and the chapter on, on St. Bridget and this, you know, the idea of um, standing within, you know, the doorway and, and bridging uh, different, uh, traditions together, um, was just so beautiful and so helpful. Cause that's exactly where I found myself pulling wisdom from all these different places. And, um, Bridget was one that, that really, uh, she really spoke to me. Um, so I guess for our listeners who maybe have no idea who St. Bridget is, uh, would you like to have the honor of sharing a little bit about her? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, often when, when we need wisdom, um, as, as I, I believe we do from someone like Bridget, um, often when, when we need uh, to hear the, the, the depth of, of what someone lived or embodied or spoke, um, it's almost as if they, they do some rising up in, in our consciousness. And, and that's certainly true of St. Bridget, this uh, 5th, 6th century Irish saint. Uh, she's coming up into our consciousness again, um, because I think she embodies a, a way of wisdom and a way of interrelationship that many of us are, are yearning for. Um, so um, I, I explore Bridget in, in the Bridget chapter in the new book, uh, as a type of liminal figure. Uh, she's a figure that, well, I mean, even the legends about her birth are marvelous. Um, you know, it is said that she wasn't born <coughs> um, inside the house or outside the house, but at the threshold of the house. Um, and, and she was born uh, in between uh, the night and the day and in, in the twilight, the time of the two lights, the time of both the sun and the moon. <clears throat> so these legends about her birth uh, indicate that she's a liminal figure. She, uh, she's, she appears or 
uh, stands in an, in an archway that allows a coming together of what we have often torn apart or separated. And one of the great liminalities in Bridget's life was that she had been a, a druidic um, a priest, um, priestess. She, it, it appears that she was the head of a druidic community in Leinster in Ireland, one of the most significant places of druidic wisdom in pre-Christian Ireland. And uh, she encounters the Christ, the Christ mystery and um, in, instead of seeing uh, sort of druidic wisdom and Christ wisdom as somehow essentially opposed to one another, uh, she, she allows them to mingle um, within her own life, within the life of Ireland, within her vision. Uh, and she comes to speak of Christ as her, as her druid. Uh, as do many of the, the Celtic teachers from that period. So Christ was seen not as somehow opposed to the wisdom that preceded Christianity, this druidic wisdom that was very um, engaged in an awareness of sun and moon and the movement of the planets and the stars and our relationship with the stars, but also um, our relationship with earth and the healing energies of plants and uh, our relationship with the creatures. So she stands in that archway that, that uh, represents a meeting place between the wisdom that has preceded uh, Christianity and, and the deep wisdom within our Christian inheritance. She, uh, she embodies a, a liminal interrelationship between the divine and human, um, between humanity and the earth, and also, very excitingly for, for me, I think she, she embodies a type of liminality between uh, uh, the womb of the universe and what is trying to come into being, what needs to be born uh, uh, within us and in our world today that hasn't yet been and is trying to come forth. And uh, so Bridget is this sort of midwifing figure. Uh, which, which is an enormous relief, you know, to, to realize that we don't have to create the new birth, uh, the new birthing of, of wisdom or the new, the, the new birthing of a way of relating to the earth and one another that we haven't experienced before. Uh, let's not carry that sort of weight on our shoulder. Uh, what Bridget enables us to know is that we can be midwives, that, that there are things, uh, sort of of God longing to come forth within us and among us. And our role is to be attentive and to reverently try to midwife it, try to release it to one another, try to release it within ourselves and release it among us as nations. Yeah, the I I loved to the um with the midwifing bit, uh how like legend has it that she was like uh midwife uh for the Christ child. Um, and I just, yeah, I, yeah, that, it's that always so, brings a smile so, to my face. <laughs> it's so wonderful because here, you know, here's the sixth century saint. Right. <clears throat> it poses no problem to the Celtic imagination uh, <laughs> to tell stories of Bridget being the midwife of the birth of Christ child. Um, because what the imagination does and uh, the Celtic tradition really opens to the imaginal realm 
what the imagination does is uh, enable us to make two worlds one or two times um, uh, uh, and and to see that at the heart of every time and at the heart of every place is the eternal uh, present. Uh, so these stories about Bridget midwifing at the birth of the Christ child, they are stories in part of, about uh, how we midwife the birth of Christ now uh, in our lives. And um, it, it was also speaking of how Bridget had midwifed the birth of of Christ's wisdom in Ireland how, and how she nurtured it with, with her own body and being. Um, so it's, it's a wonderful story. And of course, one of the great things about that um, story of, of Bridget being the midwife at the birth of the Christ child in Palestine is that in the legend, she's, she's the barmaid. I mean, she's, <laughs> that's, that's what her role is. And there's a lot in her life. Uh, about um, serving beer, providing beer. I mean, one of the legends speaks about her turning a whole lake into into beer, and um, and and has this sense of wanting wanting the whole company of heaven and wanting the company of earth to be uh, together uh, uh, and drinking drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. Um... She's she's your saint. <laughs> I think so. I think so. She, um, yeah, that, uh, I, I guess like that, that little prayer, um, you have in there from Bridget's, I guess, quiver of design, divine desires rather. Um, I really like that. I actually, uh, my father-in-law who I have a very good relationship with, um, actually is the one who first got me into, to craft beer. And so, um, when I, uh, read that, I, I, typed it out real quick and I sent it to him and I said, here's a, here's a new, uh, a new prayer for you. And he was like, yeah, I like that one. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That one's good. But the, um, the, the language and, and idea of the, of the, the birthing or, or even the rebirthing um, has been really meaningful and helpful for me recently as well um, as you're speaking. And uh, I actually, I think I was listening to an, an interview um, you did with Robin and, and uh, another one of your books, The Rebirthing of God, um, was mentioned. And so I actually I picked that up and I read that very quickly. Um, it had so much resonance. It was, it was helpful with that. Just that that idea of, of rebirthing or even um, I think as Christians, we we use this language of like life, death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. And then I, I found myself asking, oh, Josh, like there are, you know, parts of, um, you know, your, your faith or your spirituality uh, that are dying. But what, what are you afraid of? As a Christian, we, we talk about this idea of resurrection um, mm -hmm. and, and rebirth. And so what is it that is that is being birthed forward? Um, mm -hmm. And that that really really has uh has stood out to me and that's kind of been the question that i've um found myself asking more recently or even um turning from a a, a cynicism uh that i had towards um the church and more specifically i'll say my church context um white western evangelicalism uh which was a church that um as a pastor i i served in and uh, dealt with all sorts of uh heinous things um 
you know, verbal abuse, spiritual abuse, um, borderline physical abuse at the hands of, of the pastors, you know, that I worked for. And um, my cynicism, I'm trying uh, to turn it from, from cynicism into uh, what is trying to be rebirthed here. Yeah. Um, what is dying in the church um, and what needs to die? Cause you know, that some things need to die. It's, it's a part of the cycle. It's a part of life. And what right. is this new thing that is arising that is being rebirthed? Um, and I think that's a far more interesting question. Um, and I think St. Yeah. Bridget is a, is a good person to, to help hold that uh, tension with. That's right. I, I think she's, she's a figure that helps us be, alert to what is trying to be born, uh, rather than uh, primarily turning our attention to sustaining structures and sustaining belief systems that, that have been part of uh, tradition. Um, how, how do we learn to, to let go in a very profound, profound way? And um, that, that's really what the, re the, the book, The Rebirthing of God is about. And, I think in that book, I, I quote the distinction that Carl Jung, the founder of analytical psychology, uh, Carl Jung makes a distinction between um, resurrection and resuscitation. And, and he says, you know, in the, in the Eastern, Easter story of, of uh, the resurrection of Christ, uh, his his body, uh, he, he, the risen Christ is not found where his body was laid. Um, so resurrection isn't about sort of uh, some some sort of resuscitation or, or uh, perpetuity of what we have known. It's about forever looking to the new and fresh uh, manifestation of of the divine within us and among us. And, and that, as you say, that, that is the way of the universe. It, it keeps unfolding. And anything that, that isn't unfolding and finding new manifestation uh, is dead. And, um, and instead of clinging, clinging to uh, fixed forms, I believe at this moment, especially in the history of Christianity, we're being invited to ask what's trying to come forth? You know, what's the, the deep resurrection of Christ's wisdom for, for this moment in time. Yeah, it's it, it it too reminds me of this language that I've I've grown more and more fond of, um, which is this idea that we're on a journey of becoming, um, which uh, I guess Kierkegaard uh, talked about that amongst others. Um, but that's even in the intro of the, the podcast, the, the intro starts, you know, all of us are on a journey of becoming. Um, and I think it's the, as you were saying, is the universe is um, unfolding. You know, I had this realization that like, well, God has to be at least as big as the universe, right? Um, <laughs> so this, yeah, this unfolding this, uh, or I, you know, I find things like process thought, process philosophy, very interesting um, and helpful. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the um, one question I, I have too that um because I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know myself. When you talk about soul, um, or when we talk about soul, because you know, you talk about like what the soul knows and and reawakening the soul. Um, growing up, I thought that when we talk about having a soul, it was just like this wispy, ethereal thing that you know flew off in 
space when we died. Um, but I'm what? Yeah. What? When you talk about soul, what do you mean by soul? Um, and I know you devoted a, a chapter to soul as well uh, with Pelagius, who my introduction to Pelagius was, oh, he's a heretic. Don't don't mess with him. <laughs> but I really enjoyed your chapter uh, on Pelagius. Yeah. 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 I mean, so many of the um, main characters in this new book uh, had the distinction of being um, thrown out of thrown out of the the imperial church, um, uh, almost as if this is one of the this is one of the characteristics <laughs> of of most of these Celtic teachers is that they got into trouble with uh, with the holders of religious and political power. Um, because they were often speaking inconvenient truths. They were uh, calling empire and imperial religion to, to uh, uh, shape itself in, in terms of how we approach the sacredness of the earth and one another rather than how we dominate uh, the world or how we dominate and exploit the earth. So, yeah, so uh, Pelagius... Uh, for instance, says when we look into the face of a newborn child, uh, we're look, looking into the face of God, uh, freshly born among us. And um, one of the things I, I so love about that that teaching is that, again, he he's giving expression to what we know. Um, I mean, those of us who have looked into the face of a newborn child, those of us who have held uh, a young child in her innocence and beauty, um, we, we know this. Um, so uh, yet so much of our religious inheritance in terms of teaching us wanted to speak in terms of the doctrine of original sin, there is wanted to say what is deepest in the newborn child is somehow opposed to God rather than of God. Um, and Pelagius uh, teaching that the, um, about seeing the face of God and the newborn child, he's not just speaking about the newborn child, he's speaking about what is deepest in every human being. And, uh, and empire tends not want to, to want to hear that. Um, and I'm not just speaking about the Roman empire, I'm speaking about how the British empire has behaved, uh, how the American empire uh, has behaved, thinking it can somehow dominate the world uh, for its own well-being, rather than seeing that um, uh, our well-being doesn't come uh, uh, independently, it comes in interrelationship and will be well only to the extent that we really honour the sacredness of every people and every nation. Um, but uh, Pelagia is speaking about looking for the image of God uh, deep within the newborn child and at the heart of every human being. That is his way of speaking of soul. And I think that um, in a lot of our Western Christian inheritance, we've been given the, uh, the impression the soul somehow just dwells in the body, but is somehow essentially distinct from, from the body. And uh, I, I would prefer to say, that, uh, and I, I think I reflect the, the Celtic world on this front, that the body is really suffused with soul. Um, so that uh, how I handle your body, how, how 
um, how we handle one another's bodies in relationship, how we care for the physical needs of those who are poor and hungry, and how we care physically uh, for, for the species of earth. And this is about um, how we're handling soul or how we're handling spirit, and soul, and the physical is infused with the, the spiritual. Uh, so that, that's that's what's being pointed to, and uh, some someone like Eriugina, the ninth century Irish teacher, uh, <clears throat> says that the soul is made in the image of God, and the and the body is made in the image of the soul, um, um, and and he speaks of the 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 body as an echo of the soul, <laughs> um, so the the body. Um, emerges and it passes like an echo, but but it carries um, it carries the the sound of the soul, and um, you know the, this is part of what I'm sort of living in the midst of these days. Uh, um, I shared with you at the beginning of our conversation today that my young younger sister had passed last week. Uh, and that, you know, her her body passed, and um, but uh, I'm very aware of of the uh, the beauty, the uh, uniqueness, um, the vitality of her soul still. Yeah, that um, that that has been a a major shift for myself um for sure is this re um understanding or reawakening to what it is um, that we talk about when we talk about soul um you know and the the you know one of the ways that i've found helpful talking about it is like the deepest it's like the deepest nature of who we are the the thing at the core of who we are um and that uh that can have some radical implications when you start talking that way, right? When we we talk about the the sacredness of of um, all people, and then also the soul and the spirit of of, na- of nature and, and creation. Yeah. Because um, once you start talking about that, and people realize it, then it's like, oh, well, like probably shouldn't go around killing people all the time. I probably shouldn't go around dominating and domineering the earth. That's not a good idea. Um, yeah. It has radical yeah. implications. Um. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, you were, as you were speaking, I was thinking about prayers like sort of soul. I mean, you know, what do we mean when we when we speak about soul music, or when we speak about sort of someone really speaking from their soul? Um, I think what we're meaning uh, in those contexts is is that it's expression. From from the, deep, the deepest place of the deepest place of our being, um, and that interfuses us. It, it's not somehow, you know, separate from the physical. But we hear it in and through sound. We hear it in and through voice. We hear it in and through action. But it's it's that expression of the divine that, that comes out. Um, uh, sort of with with the sort of untamed energy of the divine um, I think that's one of the features of soul that it expresses the wildness of the divine yeah and also too soul um 
at least in my understanding, soul is something too that um, deeply connects, that deeply connects us, that, that deeply connects everything, right? Um, I mean, especially if we talk about, um, we talk about people and, and uh, consciousness, um, you know, you can, you can step back out of yourself right now, like Josh can step out of this conversation and I can observe myself, Josh, talking to, to John Philip Newell. Um, and so there's this, this, um, this deeper knower <laughs> of all the things that are being known. Uh, yeah. This, this untouchable yeah. uh, reality of, of who I am that can uh, see myself when I'm feeling angry or when I'm feeling, um, you know, like not good enough or something like that. I can step back and acknowledge like, whoa, like, Jo I'm, I can see that Josh is currently experiencing anger, but that, that part of me that can acknowledge that is itself not angry. It's, it's not touchable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that deep I am or, or whatever, that deep soul is something that yeah. is common to all of us. And, you know, we're connected. <laughs> and, um, that's, that's uh, a very good way of uh, expressing what we find in in the Celtic in these great Celtic teachers again and again that they often refer to um, the soul within the soul, um, the light within the light, the life at the heart of all life, and and it's this way of drawing our attention to to what it is that our our um, life rests in or is an expression of. Um, so the, again and again, these Celtic teachers want to say that everything is essentially uh, a unique and unrepeatable expression of the one. So that, that, is, that is what you are, Josh. You are a unique and unrepeatable expression of the soul, the soul within all souls, the life within all life. Yeah, I, man. Yeah, and again, I mean, radical, it keeps being the word that that uh, comes to mind. Um, and I actually, I think it's funny, I, I heard you say this, but then also in the conclusion um, of your book, you tell the story, you were, you were speaking one time, and I guess a, a, a lady out of nowhere in the middle of your conversation was like, oh, he's a fucking radical. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then apologized, um, you know, for, for her language. But I think, I mean, once you realize the, these things, it really is, it's radical because, um, I mean, I think of, I've been, you know, rethinking language and, and how I use language and what I mean by things. And when I think about sin, um, which is a word that growing up very familiar with, right, as a good evangelical, um, it seems to me that that perhaps, or at least how I, I want to use sin now is, is sin arises uh, from an illusion of separation. When we believe that we are separate from one another and that we're not connected, and when we believe that we're separate and not connected um, to the earth and to creation, um, then I think that illusion, that that belief, that bind to that lie is what then gives rise to sin because that allows us then to act violently towards our neighbor um, to, to hold hatred or, or to, to destroy the earth or, or whatever. And so waking up to this radical idea that, that no, it's, it's, it's all connected. Um, 
that there's a deep sacredness in human life in the earth and in you and me and in this experience that we're all having that's radical <laughs> and that can change that can change the world if 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 people awaken to it um but it also has implications that um get people killed right like yeah. jesus <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah absolutely and and you know when the when the woman burst out and, and sort of called me radical this wasn't a <laughs> This wasn't a criticism. This, these were words of affirmation uh, that it did suddenly. And one of the interesting things about that story is that this woman—this was a woman who had been at many of my talks and had read um, a lot of my writing. And uh, but there was this moment, this sort of penny drop. Suddenly, she realized, ah, yeah, um, to speak about this, the essential sacredness of every human being. Um, to speak about the essential sacredness of the earth and every life form. This has radical implications for how we are to be in relationship. And um, my, my teacher, uh, George McLeod, uh, was the one to uh, remind us or to, to uh, illuminate for us that the word sin in English comes from the old High German word sunda. Uh, which means to sunder. Um, so uh, sinning is about sundering this sacred interrelationship of all things. Uh, uh, when I sin against you, it means I've, I've forgotten your essence. Um, I'm thinking that, that I can look after my well-being at, at the expense of your well-being or ignoring your well-being. Um, and uh, one of the themes that comes across very beautifully in, in the Celtic stream is, is that it, it is sometimes said that humanity suffers from soul forgetfulness. We've, we've forgotten uh, the essence of our being. Uh, we've forgotten the true heart of one another and all things. And to the extent that we forget who we are is often the extent to, uh, uh, to which we begin to sunder or um, live in, in uh, separation uh, rather than in interwovenness. Um, and in, in, in that stream, uh, someone like Eri Gina says, yes, we, we suffer from soul forgetfulness. And he says, um, Jesus is our, our memory. And he, he, he comes to reawaken us to uh, what is within. Uh, so again, not coming with some sort of foreign uh, knowledge, but rather is inviting us to wake up to the most intimate truth uh, of, of that soul within our soul, or that light right at the heart of our life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's beautiful. I'm glad you, um, how do you say is the, the last name? Uh, it's E-R-I-G-U-E. And they, yeah, so his, his full name was John Scottus Eriugina. Eriugina, okay, yeah. And it, um, it's a difficult name to get a hold of, but much easier when you translate it, because it just means John the Irishman from Ireland. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember when I, I first heard you uh, say that, it, it made me laugh, because um, I think uh, I think Rob was commenting on how cool of a name that was. And then you're like, oh, well, it just means this. And uh, <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny. But that um, and we can we can end um, 
we can end here to be fair to your time, but that, that chapter as well um, that you devoted to him about sacred flow um, was, I found very helpful as well, um, especially because, I mean, I think it was, it was uh, Bonhoeffer um, who said that like, when I hang out with religious people, I don't use the word God anymore because it means something, I mean something radically different um, by it. And as I read that chapter, that's what I was, I was reminded of is there's, um, whatever it is that I mean by God, this, this God that I've experienced, um, and that I am experiencing this God that I'm learning to know, um, intimately, not just with my head, know about, but to know, um, <clears throat> the sacred flow of the divine in and through all things, um, yeah. trying to find language to put to that <laughs> is difficult. Yes, is there again who says uh, that the word, the Greek word theos, T H E O S in transliteration, theos, he says, is derived from the Greek verb theo, uh, which means to flow. Um, so God, he says, is the one who flows uh, deep within all things. And so he sees that flow of the divine as, as like a subterranean stream. And if somehow that flow deep within us and deep within the universe were to be dammed up or stopped, then everything would cease to cease to exist. So the flow of the divine is not some uh, aspect of the divine that may be present in some people and not, not in others, or you know may may only be accessed in the church or not in the church or at specific moments. Uh, that flow is is an eternal flow deep within us, and and again the good news is we don't have to create the flow. Uh, we need to let go to the flow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I think that's that's actually that's a perfect place to end, and and a, I guess that's a really good way to to describe kind of um, I guess where I, I feel like I find myself currently is um, finding where it is that. The divine flow has been dammed up um, yeah. in my life and allowing that to become undammed is that the right word yeah. <laughs> no yeah. pun intended and yeah. uh and to flow and it's it's um it's been wonderful and and your work has has played a major role in that so i'm, I'm deeply uh, uh grateful so thank you for uh thank for you, Josh. and what you do very good to be with you, and I hope you'll come and see me in Scotland. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> that would be awesome. <clears throat> come to the Sacred Island of Iona. Yes, that is uh, very much on my my bucket list, uh, 100% for sure. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, John, thank you so much again for uh, for your time today and for your work. And listeners, do yourself a favor. Go grab yourself a copy of Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> and uh john I'll, I'll be sure to link that and um you know your website and things like that so listeners yeah. can can find you yeah. yeah yeah we'd like to help get the word out about this uh, conversation so thank you josh Blessings. yeah most definitely thank you john take care bye-bye peace and love all right listeners well that was john philip newell um yeah and we honestly only scratched the surface of what John has to offer. Seriously, Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul is, has been um, a wonderful companion for myself recently, uh, just in everything that I personally have been experiencing and, and 
going through and I've I've been reading it slowly and I don't often do that with books. I, I tend to tear through them, but there's something about this book um, that warrants a, a slow reading. There's an invitation in that. And also um, the rebirthing of God is fantastic. Um, for any of you who find yourself within, you know, perhaps uh, to use this language, even though I think you guys know I'm not super fond of it, but I, it's it's the vernacular we use, the deconstruction uh, kind of community reconstruction idea. Um, check out the rebirthing of God. Um, I think it offers uh, some really beautiful insight um, into some possibilities uh, that often go um, overlooked. So. Yeah, I'll stop talking now because John is gone and uh, y'all don't want to just listen to me rant and rave, uh, which I could do. But anyway, thank you as always for listening and hanging out today. Uh, go check out John's work. It's fantastic. And uh, if you have the financial means to do it and want to take me with you, uh, hit me up and we'll go to Scotland <laughs> and go visit John. All right, guys. Uh, peace and love. <laughs>